0: Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. lovely story-shaped listeners. Today we have another excellent guest interview and this time it's with the wonderful writer Nicola Penfold. Nicola is the author of three middle grade novels Where the World Turns Wild, Between Sea and Sky and Beyond the Frozen Horizon. If you haven't already read them, pause this podcast immediately and buy them. They are all three of them. Gorgeous stories about nature, rewilding, environmental damage and recovery and the ways in which the wild world impacts our inner landscapes. And Nicola is a member of the Climate Fiction Writers League, who sound like the kind of superheroes I could get behind. (laughs) In fact, although Nicola's novels deal with dystopian worlds and damaged landscapes and they ask tough questions about our relationship with the natural world, they are ultimately stories about wonder and enchantment and most of all hope. We are so happy to welcome Nicola to the podcast and we're really excited to learn just exactly how Nicola is story-shaped. So hello, Sinead, and welcome, hello, Nicola. To... How are you both?
1: Hello, <laughs> that was such a beautiful introduction. So uh, thank you so much, Susan. That was really lovely. Um, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much um, for having me, both of you, on your amazing new podcast.
2: <laughs> it's our absolute pleasure, Nicola. We, I'm a massive fan of your books as well, and we're just so thrilled that you're able to be here today. To talk to us. Um, and yes, Susan, what a fantastically, beautifully eloquent introduction. Um, I, I I stand by every word of that. <laughs> um, yeah, Nicola's books are not only lyrical and beautifully written, but they really have a powerful emotional impact. Um, and I think as well as as well as that, they're they're very important stories for the world that we're currently living in. Um, so we can't wait to find out how you got here, Nicola, and yeah. the stories that made you <laughs> made you who you are. Um, so we'd like to start off with the question that we 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 ask everybody which is are you story shaped, Nicola Penfold? I
1: story-shaped? am story shaped. I love that question. Um what a great <laughs> idea for your podcast. Um I definitely am story shaped. I feel like I totally am the product of all the books that I've read to, to this to the extent that when I when I had children, I've got four kids, I felt like I had such a I wanted to give them the the building blocks that I had had, the same books. I wanted to You know, I've kept a lot from my childhood, but there were others that I just got out of the library and I didn't have. And I really felt I needed to pass all that on. And I've learned being a a parent that that's not always the thing to do because they're all their own people. And also times have changed. The books that I loved as a child haven't always stood the test of time. And there are so many new, amazing books. Um, But I do believe I do believe that books really make you. I think they teach you so much about um, yourself. They teach you so much about the wider world they take you to places that you'll just never go in real life um I mean it's a big thing about books and empathy and I just think it it rings really true for me and I think I know so much more and I, I feel so much more because of the books that I I read and still read now so I am story shaped yes
0: that's a great answer <laughs> yeah I totally agree what stands out as maybe your earliest memories of being story shaped or what stories do you think impacted you most in your early years?
1: I feel I feel really lucky. I feel like I grew up surrounded by books. My mum was actually a um, an infant school teacher, ah. so we had a lot of picture books at home. Um, but we went to the library a lot as well. We went to two libraries. So I lived in Doncaster. That's where I grew up, and I think most Saturdays would would take the bus into town and would go to Doncaster Central Library with my mum, and they would do a lovely story time there. So we'd all sit in a circle and listen to a story. And then we would be released to the shelves and we could pick our books for the week. Um, but we also had another littler library and um, closer to where we lived and our little suburban kind of estate, um, which was also really amazing. And I've got really fond memories of kind of kneeling down. It was a carpeted floor. It was in a kind of a porter cabin It was a very small library. But amazingly, it's still there. Um, and yeah, just choosing the books. And it got to the point where, both in the the Bessica Library where I lived, and then in Doncaster Central Library, I felt like I knew all the books. Certainly, when we got to kind of the teen books, you didn't really have young adult books then in the same way. But all the teen books, all the kind of middle grade books that as would call them today, I felt like I knew all of them. Or <laughs> had maybe some I discounted and thought that's not my kind of book, but I I just read them all, um, and it was yeah, it was really important to me and. Um and some of those books I, I don't quite remember what they were and it's I did have some books of my own as well. I was quite lucky. We did go to bookshops, you know, not very often, but the times that we went were really special and my book collection at home was very important to me. And it, you know, I, I remember, you know, I, I I think I I was kind of wanted to be a librarian and I really took pride in how I'd stack them up on my shelves and they would be in alphabetical order according to the author, of course. Um so my book collection at home was very important to me. But the library, the libraries were so important to me. Um, and then the school library as well later on. Um, yeah, but when I was little, um, yeah, lots of picture books with my mom at home as well. Um, I think we read quite a lot of Shirley Hughes.
0: Oh, I love them.
1: I remember Spot the Dog. I loved Spot the Dog. I loved going <laughs> over those little flaps and and all the different animals that you were introduced to. and And his little sister, Sally, as
0: well a very soft spot for spot the dog. <laughs> it's so interesting because it's coming up so many times, isn't it, Sinead? The importance of libraries. Absolutely. Um, just the, the, the ways that libraries provide that free access to, to books to anybody. Um, okay. But all of our guests have mentioned the significance and the importance of the library and also have these really kind of physical tangible memories of like sensual memories of the library yeah. like the carpus or
1: there's something really lovely about a book that's read by lots of people I think yeah I mean it's really lovely and you're really lucky if you can have your own books but a book that's been read and you can see where people have folded over the page and you know it's slightly yellow and I think I think there's something really special about that and I always used to see I always used to look how many you know who had got who, what when was mm. the date that it was last taken out and how many times had it been taken out and um, I miss that in modern libraries
2: at least the one yeah. what I'm a member of now they only do they use a machine that you just kind of yeah, scan your books yeah. through they don't have the stamp anymore and I used to love that even the sound of it oh. you know the stamp oh, yeah. and you could you could see how, how long the book had been in the library for and how many people had had it before you I used to love all that um, yeah, yeah no, me too
0: yeah because yeah, it's like the history of the book the history Absolutely. of the book, yeah, the story of yeah. the book, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the story of the book. Yeah. I also lo- like, I love the way you're talking about the books in the library, that you knew them all. It sounds like it, just getting this feeling that the books were your friends, yeah.
1: They were my friends, they were my friends. I was very, um, at school, I was very, uh, well, as a child generally, in my family as well. I mean, maybe not in my immediate family, but in my wider family, I was very, very quiet. I was very, very shy. I'm still quite quiet and shy. Mm-hmm. Um, books were my friends. They enabled me to have this inner life then it enabled me to have a voice and to go off on all these adventures that I wouldn't have in ordinary life and of course it's the same for everyone but I think because I was so quiet it I don't know there was something special and also in books you I think a lot of writers are quite quiet people that a lot of writers are introverts Mm -hmm. um and you get a lot of quiet characters in books and I loved that I loved that because I felt like I found people like me in the books that I read and of course not everyone did back then I, I was very lucky I was but um yeah, I did, and I, yeah, they they were my friends. They were my friends, definitely. I'm the very same. Just I'm, I'm listening to you
2: talking, and I'm, I'm remembering my own earliest trips to the library, and, and how, how deeply I loved the books that I found there, and how deeply I loved the few that we we had, you know, on the shelves at home, and uh, how just how much they meant to me. That they, they really do just go into your heart and, and stay there. They just make you make you who you are. Um, it's it's really profound. Oh God, it's really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like you too, I was quiet, I still am, you know, or well, some people who would, would disagree, perhaps I, I, you know, if I know you well, I'm a chatty type person, mm-hmm. but I, generally speaking, I'm like that, I'm introverted as well. And, you know, when you're smaller, having the adventure with, you know, even you're reading, reading a story with a character that might not be like you, maybe they're not a quiet child, but they might be a child like Pippi Longstocking, you know, yeah. who, who lift horses or, you know, drinks coffee or has a, you know, chest full of gold in the kitchen or whatever you know you just you just read those and go wow I'd, I'd love to go on an adventure with her I'd love to be her you know you live you live these multitude of other lives through through the books that you love absolutely such a privilege it really
1: is it's amazing yeah yeah that's a lovely way of putting it all these other possibilities for, yeah. yeah the, the
2: other lives yeah yeah absolutely I
1: loved it Gosh.
0: and what are the what are the characters that in particular particularly stand out to you from that period of time um,
1: I read a lot of series books so I read a lot of Ina Blyton
0: like mm, I mean me I read too. loads of Ina mm-hmm.
1: Blyton it was she was really important to me um so uh, I mean there are characters I remember like I think my favorite books were like um The Island of Adventure, The Ship of Adventure, The Valley of Adventure and I think they were if I remember right it was Philip and Jack they were the boys and then it was um Dina or Dinah I never knew oh yeah Lucy Ann who's the youngest
0: but oh, that's I a good memory. I, I can't remember
1: their gosh, names. Gosh, I can't remember them at all. So. But i still Confused. got a few on my shelves. Um, I love The Famous Five as well. Um, mm. I wasn't such a fan of The Secret Seven. I think no. maybe I got to them a bit late. So the, the Famous Five was a bit slightly pitched, a bit older. Then I loved Mallory Towers. Um, mm. And they were just really comforting reads for me. They, they were really familiar. Um, and I did feel like I knew those characters really well. And then I read a lot of horse books. So I went to um, a pony riding stage with my sister. We used to go to the local riding um, stables and I read at the same time I was reading a lot of books about horses like the um, the the Jill books by um, Ruby, is it Ruby her, Ferguson those yes, ones? yeah yeah um, I read a lot of books by Patricia Leach who wrote um, books about um, this um, shanty this um, amazing horse and Ginny was her rider um, and Yes, I read a lot of horse books. I love the Silver Brumby books, which were by, I'm just looking, I think it was by Elaine someone, um, Elaine um, Mitchell, and yeah, about wild horses um, and the lives of these horses. So there weren't any humans in the books. It was all about the horses, all about the the animals. And again, Colin Dan, lots of animal Mm. stories, um, which I probably wouldn't read now. I think I I kind of, I like the voice now to be um, a human. But as a child, I think you feel, and I felt I loved animals. You know, animals were so important to me. And it was very easy for me to step into an animal voice in a book um, or horse voice. And yeah, I loved those books so much. And it really took me, I write, as you were saying, Susan, I write a lot about wild places and and kind of kids escaping out into the wild. And, And that's what some of those books did for me. They took me out of my town and into the wild um books like the animals of Bardin Wood by oh Time. i
0: loved that oh, one yeah
1: yeah and he wrote a book about cats which i think was my favorite it was called king of the vagabonds and i can't remember much about it but it was kind of like opposing groups of cat- you know cats really struggling to survive out in this wild place um i recently read um um barjack paul with my son oh yeah um, i was actually going to I, say did have you read barjack paul and the yeah, i and paul to right. king of the vagabonds
0: mm-hmm.
1: um um, and and my son absolutely loved it, but I absolutely loved it too. I just thought it was amazing, and it yeah, it really reminded me of that book. Um, so it's really lovely that because probably now if I said to my children, oh come on, this is a great booking of the Vagabonds. It's probably quite slow. It probably takes a while to get going. So it's I really like it when ideas come back and they're kind of reinvented for our times, and they're a bit a bit fresher. And they they get going a bit faster nowadays. I think it's <laughs> a good thing for us all. <laughs> up straight into the action <laughs> <It's really
0: laughs> yeah i read all of those um i went through a real holy horse phase i read all of them. did you read the books by um the pull and thompson sisters
1: i did yeah there were yeah there were a few was was it christine was one christine of them and, um, and was josephine
0: maybe yeah josephine
1: plucking and... out old names now but yeah I, did, <laughs> I, I had so many of them i remember i used to i don't know where i got them from i got some from the library but then i think we must have gone to some secondhand bookshops because I remember owning a lot of secondhand books mm. and it must have been from like jumble stalls and things, jumble fairs at school and places like that. And um, yeah, and old bookshops. Um, yeah, I loved all those books. And my sister did too. So she it was great because she was a couple of years ahead of me. She was two and a half years older. So she would acquire all these books and then I'd have them ready there to read, which was great.
0: It's uh, really interesting that you said as well that you found it really easy to kind of step into mm. the animal's point of view why do you think that was
1: I don't know I think I I just always felt this connection with animals I had a cat that's the only pet we had Although we did have a bird at one point we had a budgie um called Tommy who was who was really lovely um and I think maybe it was partly because I was so quiet I felt like they were my, my cats. and I were, we had about three cats when I was growing up you know af- one after the other they really felt like my friends I felt very connected to them um And I think but I think lots of children do. I think lots of children do feel connected to the natural world. I feel like they feel connected to animals. And sometimes I think adults lose that a bit only because they become distracted with other things. I think when you have the time as an adult to really connect with like sometimes I'll take my kids to like a a zoo or something or um, an animal reserve and we might get a moment with the goats. And I, 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 that connection comes back instantly when I, when I pet a goat or, you know, I don't have a dog, but if I see a dog and I, I bend down, it comes back very quickly. But I think as adults, we often have a lot of other things going on in our head mm. and we become distracted by that, which is a shame. Um, but, yeah, as a, as a child, yeah, I had a big animal connection going on. And I loved horses, but I did find it a bit scary when we got to the point where we were going over jumps and we weren't just trotting we were cantering and, and that was it was a bit too much to be honest um, and we gave up both my sister and i gave up and i think my parents were quite relieved really because it got a bit dangerous and also it's very expensive isn't yeah it? Do it. i think they were quite glad when we, we found other hobbies and then yeah. ballet we found ballet as well and i was never that good at ballet um, did
0: you read ballet books but
1: i did read ballet books yeah and that enabled that too so even after i'd kind of given up ballet I was reading books about, um, I remember I read books about Sadler's Wells. Oh,
0: I have, I read all of those and I have them still, like a dream of Sadler's Wells. And I (laughs) loved those books so much.
1: No, me too, me too. And that enabled, Sinead, you were talking about a kind of multiple lives and that enabled part of me still to go on dancing and, you know, just thinking what that would have been like if I had been really good at it and I had got to Sadler's Wells and yeah, it was amazing. I
0: loved those books. But also, I think the Saddlers Wells—they weren't just about ballet; they were about landscape as well, because there was so much of it set in North um, Was it Northumbria that they all went back to? And yeah, and Scotland. I remember there was a story about like them walking in Scottish <laughs> mountains, and yeah. I, the, the landscape actually comes to me more than the ballet, nearly.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think you remember them better than me. Now I want to go
0: back. No, because I've reread yeah, them all recently. Bye. Okay. Um, and, Like as a kind of comfort read, and they're really comforting. So do do go back and reread them.
1: I will. I mean, uh, it's really interesting because I think landscape for me is really important in a book, and as a child it was too. And I I actually I think now writers are doing that a lot more in the natural world. The natural landscape is really important in lots of books we have today. Um, I think maybe ten years ago it had kind of dipped a little bit, and there's been a resurgence now. But as a child, I do remember kind of um. Yeah, I remember reading books like um, A Stitch in Time by Penelope Lively, which was set by the sea, and that coast was very, very important. I loved a book called um, The Way to Saturn Shore by um, Philippa Pierce, who wrote Tom's Midnight Garden. It was one of her lesser well-known books, but it was so beautiful, and it was about a girl um, who had a cat, actually, called Syrup. I think the cat was called Syrup. Oh, good um, And there was a mystery in her family, and she didn't know what it was, but her mum was quite unhappy. Um and she she kind of pieces together what's going on. And it's somehow connected with this place called Satin Shore, which isn't um, by the sea, actually, as its name suggests. It's, it's by a river. Um, and she meets this old lady and she's not sure who she is, but she she senses some kind of connection to her. And, and there's been um, someone had drowned in the past. So it's this sense of kind of danger and, and mystery and sadness. There's a real sadness in the book, but you're not sure what it is. And I won't I won't give any spoilers. But it's a really really beautiful book. And actually, I think that book has stood the test of time because I've I've given it to a couple of my kids and they've they've really loved it. Um. But yeah, that I think the natural world that when a landscape can be almost a character in itself. Um, Absolutely. Those are the kinds of books that I love. And I think that's something definitely that I've learned as a writer that I I totally think comes from the books that I read when I was younger you know the, the the significance for me of landscape in the book how important that is and when I'm writing I start usually all, almost always with the setting I need an in, a setting that I can um, find really intriguing and that I can daydream about that I can um, describe in bits as we go through the story so that it all comes together I think the setting is so important um, so you can imagine being there yourself that certainly comes through
2: in your books particularly in uh in beyond the frozen horizon which i felt like i was you know living <laughs> in your book it was it was really you, you really achieved something with that book that's oh, monumental you. in my opinion it's just so that's amazing that you think because it, it's setting doesn't come to me when i'm writing a book it's character for me first you know that i have to have a like a person yeah. or a child character yeah you know, that i can sort of who are you what are you doing <laughs> yeah you know, so the setting to me is is not I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's not important or whatever yeah. but it's not the first thing that comes to me so I love that you begin your stories with the with the landscape that's yeah. that's it's it's not surprising because your books are so so um I don't know wedded to or so 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 you know hand in hand with the landscape that they set their set in so that's 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 amazing oh, I, I love I love these little nuggets of Um, of the
1: of of skillful creation that we get from (laughs) from
2: our
1: uh, guests (laughs) i found beyond the frozen horizon really difficult to write because i haven't been so i've never so it's set in svalbard um which is halfway between norway and the north pole i've never been but i had this idea that that would be a good setting for a book and i found out about this old ghost town there which was an old it's an abandoned russian mining town um called pyramid and and i I watched lots of YouTube videos and I, yeah, I read accounts of other people that have been there, but I had never been. And now I kind of feel like I feel I like tricked myself, and I feel like I have been because I've watched so many videos. Well, yeah, you'd so never guess. you never guess you've never been there because it was so real.
0: Yeah, I yeah. feel like I've been there.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. But it was it was a labour of, um, well, not always love. <laughs> there were times when I thought, "Why am I doing this? It's so difficult." Um, and I was, I was also. The book is also set. Um, as the polar night approaches so it's, it's very cold but also it's getting dark and there are not many hours of daylight and it gets darker every day and I found that really hard to to kind of imagine Um and I, I got to the point where I was waking up really early to write partly to find the time to write when the house is quiet but also I think partly to get into that sense of it being dark and that stillness that you get when it's kind of cold and dark outside. I felt like I needed to recreate that somehow so I'd be getting up at Five thirty or 5 sometimes ridiculously and I write in a shed at the end of our garden and I'd be stumbling out with my torch <laughs> into the dark into this cold shed and I think it was to kind of create that setting because I really felt like I was struggling because I hadn't been there whereas my first two books are Where the World Turns Wild is set very much in the English landscape and it's about going into um, a rewilded world but it's kind of a, a British woodland or lots of shrub um, land as well between Sea and Sky was set by the sea and I imagined Shubriness, which is a place near South End that I go to a lot on the train with my kids for day trips. So those two settings were really vivid for me. Um, um, and Svalbard is much harder to write. But I do feel now I spent so much time imagining that I was there and daydreaming it that I can maybe take that one off and feel like I have been. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap travel is <laughs> right right about these places. You don't yeah, have to bother going but... Amazing that's what books can do. They can well, I mean, mean, your the settings in
2: your three books is that they're they're equally as real and vivid. You know, you you'd never guess from, from reading from reading your brand Beyond the Pros and and that you've never been to Svalbard. It's it's oh. just it's like it's like it's like you went there and, and, and sort of distilled the essence of the place into the book. Um
1: so I think you've really achieved something there. Oh, you're very kind. And I read books to achieve that too. So one book that really inspired um beyond the frozen horizon was michelle paver's dark matter which i didn't read quite a recent book and i read it as an adult and it's an adult book it's not for children it's a ghost story but it is absolutely amazing it's definitely the scariest book that i've ever read um and it's beautifully written as well and so if you want to go to spellboard again read dark matter by michelle paver (laughs) okay (laughs) it's actually
2: something it's a book i've tried i'm I'm trying to get for ages so I, i keep meaning to um to order it because it's not I, I never find it when i go in looking for books i, I yeah. always look for dark matter and it's never yeah. there and i keep meaning to that i must make a mental note now to, to yeah, order, order it, that with my and uh, bookshop order. because it's, and it's, it's on music, my list for years it's a it. great
1: winter read as well i always like to read kind of the season and it's a great winter read Yeah, winter. read it over christmas that would be amazing
0: oh yeah because yeah. a ghost story is great over christmas yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so i find it like i love reading <clears throat> books that are like set in the season that we're in at the time and also I find like I start with setting as well um like I have the you know, when I write I have this the setting and character comes later and then plot comes later than that <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but I find it really difficult because like the book I'm trying to write at the moment is like it's a summer book and yeah. Like I'm finding it hard now to write that because yeah. we're we've left summer, but like yeah. so I thought it's really interesting that you were re- recreating the kind of Arctic conditions to write beyond yeah. the frozen horizon.
1: You need to get your heating turned on. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's really difficult. I yeah, get some summer books to read. Um yeah, I would I would be totally the same, but you know, you can do it, you can you can do it season. <laughs> we believe in you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Were there any other books um, that sort of, I suppose, helped you with Beyond the Frozen Rise in particular, but maybe in general, like, you know, are there any other books that you've read, whether they're fiction or non-fiction or for grown-ups or whatever, that sort of help you to get a
1: sense of place and landscape in your stories, you know, nature books or anything like that? Um, Yeah, I mean, there were so many books. Um, uh, uh, There's a few books that really stand out for me from when I was a kind of a teenager, I suppose, quite a young teenager maybe, one is Children of the Dust by Louise Lawrence, which is set after a nuclear war. It starts um, when the alarms are sounding, and then um, I think they hear a blast. Oh, I just got shivers. The, yeah, the dust starts to fall, and they have to hide in, in their kitchen under the table. And I think the there's, I can't remember what the main um, character's called, but she's a she's a young girl, and she's got a younger sibling with her, and I think she's got her stepmom with her, and her dad's away for some reason. Um, and it's absolutely terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying <laughs> and really, really sad as well. And I remember they have a dog. They have a family dog, and they don't know how long they're going to be stuck in this kitchen for. And they've had to seal everything off, um, and they don't have much food. They don't have much water, so they've shut the dog outside, and they can hear oh the God, dog no. in. can't let it in and the younger sibling is really crying because they want to let the dog in and it's absolutely heartbreaking and it doesn't get any better it's a very bleak story but i absolutely loved it whilst also finding it quite traumatizing and that was a really important book for me and i think when i was younger when i had a go at writing well in the beginning i used to write basically rehashes of enid Blyton stories Um, but when i got a bit older i wrote quite a lot when i was attempting to write the beginnings of stories they were always kind of end of the world stories um, mm-hmm. there's another book that I read also by Louise Lawrence called um, Calling Beef a Butterfly, which was a science fiction story. And it was set on a spaceship and it was a group of children who were leaving Earth. And I think um, I don't know whether you find out why they're leaving Earth, but I think Earth is pretty much um, devastated. So they're leaving Earth to find a new planet to start again on that um, something goes wrong. And basically, I think all the adults die on the ships. Uh, but they, there's a, there's a group of children who are in this special um, kind of space pod that goes separately, and they're in touch with mission control and they're, they're trying to get instructions for how to fly to safety. Um, and I, yeah, I loved that it. it was a very claustrophobic environment. There was no nature there, um, but it was very, yeah. The, the intensity of that story was um, really stayed with me. Really stayed with me. Um, and yeah, so that was the, that was kind of kind of a whole genre for me of these kind of Um, yeah post-apocalyptic end of the world stories which felt really important to me growing up I think I always thought that's the kind of book that I want to write. Um,
2: I just wonder have you read a recent book Um, there was a recent book that sounds a lot like that The Calling Bee for Butterfly Um, it's written by a a lady called Donna Barba Barba Iguera, I think is how you say her name and she In America, it was published as the last Quintista and yes, in England yeah. and Ireland, it's um, the last storyteller. I don't know if you've read it. Yeah, it's I have. Read fabulous.
1: It, yeah. it's, it's it sounds a lot like that. Yeah. No, that really brought that back to me, actually. Yeah, I love that story. I thought that was that was yeah that was really really good. I'm really glad that those stories are coming back as well. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I loved kind of the modern twists that that one has. You know that this girl has it has the the stories of her people inside her like and she she brings them off into space like she brings them, you know into space she brings these ancient you know stories that her grandmother told her and how important that's the storytelling is to to you know making a new making a new culture I suppose and making a new colony in space it's it's yeah I really found that, that book to be brilliant I have never read um Louise Lawrence's books but I'm gonna they sound amazing um yeah. but Children of the Dust would, would it have been from the 80s or would, it, would they have uh, been probably
1: I think it would have been yeah yeah yeah,
2: there was so an awful lot is. of you know awareness of nuclear nuclear disaster back then, wasn't there? It was kind of a a big cultural thing at the time, wasn't
1: it the yeah. the fear of 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 annihilation. Yeah. And actually yeah. this, earlier this year when you know the russia um Ukraine um thing started, I yeah, those books you know obviously had really stayed with me, and yeah, they, they those were the books that came back. And I was reading um another modern book called The Cats We Meet Along the Way, by I think it's by Nadia Mikhail. And it won won some prize a year or so ago, I think, with guppy books. And it's about um, a comet is heading to Earth. And it's this um, teenage girl who goes on a road trip, basically, to find her sister whilst there's still time with her mom and her boyfriend. And it's a really beautiful book. The Cats We Meet Along the Way, it's called. Um, um, And that's that's another um, example of of these kinds of books coming back. And I was reading that when um, Russia invaded Ukraine. And... And I was, yeah, everyone that I knew, because I live in London. I know you do too, Susan. And I don't know that it was peculiar to London, but people were really scared. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. horrified about the war. They were so sad about what was happening in Ukraine. But they were also really scared that, you know, something was going to happen here. Um, Yeah, and that book, The Cats We Meet Along the Way, one of the things that I really loved about it was, that again, nature is really described in a way that makes you feel really sad that this could come to an end, that the comet's gonna come, it's all gonna be destroyed. And I suppose one of the things that I, I write with a lot of awareness about climate change and also the nature crisis, the fact that we're losing lots of species. Um, and one of the things I really want to do is to introduce all these, um, this amazing world to my readers um, to make it important to them, To to because we don't you know we don't all get to visit these places in real life and um, I think if we can read about them in stories it helps make them important to us it helps form a connection with them so that we both want to get out in real life and explore them and and also feel like we have some kind of ownership over it and if we have ownership over the natural world if we feel like it's ours if we feel like it's important if we love it then then we're going to want to save it and so that's kind of at the heart of what I do now and I know that you know, I I was quite lucky and I, you know, we had lots of day trips out in the countryside when I was growing up. Um, but also books really introduced me to to lots of wild places and, and lots of kind of birds um, and animal species that I, you know, would never have seen in real life, but I, I
0: met in books. So it's about that attention as well, isn't it? And that's what your books yeah. are asking the reader Absolutely, and asking yeah. the character, the protagonist yeah. to pay close attention to the nature that's around them Mm -hmm. and also the impact that they have on the nature that's around them.
1: Yeah, that's such a nice way of putting it. I think it's all about paying attention actually. I think we all, yeah, if we all paid a bit more attention, if we had the time, if we could slow down, if we just noticed what's going on, then I just think it I mean it's so good for us as well. It's so good for us. There's so much evidence that being outside in green spaces it's good for us. It makes us happier. It makes us healthier. It makes us calmer. It even makes us kinder. Um, and I'm quoting this almost directly from this other book because everything I know comes from books, which is called um, <laughs> "Losing Eden: Why Our Minds Need the Wild" by Lucy Jones, which is an adult book. It's an adult nonfiction book. It came out about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And it's it it's basically um, sums up all the evidence in a really beautiful way about why. Um, the natural world is important for us in terms of our health and our, um, our yet yeah, healthy minds as well um, yeah, and it's beautiful, it's beautifully written but yeah, really, really interesting and actually that book talks about Svalbard a little bit as well because the author goes to the global seed bank which is in Svalbard mm. which is this amazing store of seeds from all around the world um, in case of any disaster anywhere they've got this seed bank and it's stored in the permafrost deep in the mountain. This is considered like one of the safest places on a. Um, but even that, even that now we're losing um, the permafrost is melting a little bit, so we we have to think about that too. And when Lucy, um, Lucy, the author, goes to the Svalbard Seed Bank, they've just had a flood because some of the the ice has melted a little bit. Um, but I think it's safer now.
0: Have you read that book? Um, it's an adult book as well, um, The Overstory.
1: I haven't. It's on my list. It's oh, my long book, isn't it? Oh, it's a very long book, books. but it's so good. And
0: there's a seed bank in that book. I'm not sure if it's the Svalbard one. Might right. be.
1: I'll get to it one day.
0: Yeah. Now I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah, it's, it's long, <laughs> phenomenal. It'll kind of take over your life when you're reading yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will. I will work up to it. <laughs>
2: And there's um I know that it's interesting that you say that so many books that inspired you would have been sort of dystopian with the you know with the i suppose the, the the definition of dystopian is that there's a that sense of pessimism i guess or or that everything is is devastated you know, but your books are so hopeful you know that there's always there's always a you new know, green seedlings of 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 newness in your books you know that you know and I love that you know that you even um that they're set perhaps you know after you know the world has changed we have we have set these new uh you know policies in place and we have set these new goals in place and you know they're, they're in the fu- slightly in the future but the world is it's a better future than than the current present that we have now um and is that something that you just you've taken on yourself to do you know for your own readers or is it something that's inspired by something you've read as well or or where does that optimism come from
1: um, I think it is, I think I'm always looking for beauty, you know, as a writer, you look for beautiful things to write about, don't you? And um, and you can find that beauty in your characters and you can find it in places. Um, so in my first book, Where the World Is Wild, it starts off in a city where no nature is allowed. and It's a very grey, um, grim place to write about. So straight away from the outset, when I had this idea of the city with the wild all around it, but shut out of the city, I created these glass houses, which were... Um, um yeah greenhouses where the few plants in the city can be kept and they became the places of beauty and that's what I was drawn to um and in the same way between Sea and Sky my second book um it's a it's kind of a a community and they live in this stilted um compound um and it's stilted to protect and um, the people from the flood water because there's been lots of storm surges and floods because it's set in the future and sea levels have risen but and again, it's and there's lots of rules to follow and it's quite a grey place. But straight away, I had my characters kind of going out on their bikes, out into the, they call them the solar fields, like fields of solar panels. But they find the wild areas between the solar panels and these old windmills and they kind of access another world, an older world, a wilder world. Um, and I think it just happens instinctively. But I do think at the same time, it is important for readers. Mm. And I don't actually think it's just young readers it's important. I think it's really important for all readers, and I know when I'm reading as an adult, um, kind of the outside is kind of the oxygen in a book. It's it's kind of that I don't know. It's where I feel happy and free, and I think if a book doesn't have that, it can be quite difficult to read. Like I remember reading 1984, and I loved that book, but it's a very bleak, claustrophobic book. It's very difficult. I wouldn't read that for pleasure. I wouldn't read that if I was having a hard time and I wanted just to relax before bedtime. I think, um, yeah, having beauty in a book is really important, actually. Um, and for me, so much beauty comes from the natural world. Um, and it, yeah, it does happen instinctively, but at the same time, I think it's quite important. And I know my editor would probably try and bring out those bits of a book, for, try and expand them a little bit for, for younger readers.
0: But I think as well, it's like it's so important for mobilising people to have mm. some kind yeah. of, like you need some kind yeah. of hope because you can get so... Down and despairing about the climate crisis, and absolutely, we need we need some sense that there is something we can do about it. Absolutely, and
1: actually, after after COVID as well, which I think has been so difficult for so many people, but especially I think for young people who, you know, they had their life. We all had our lives interrupted, didn't we? But lots of young people, you know, their school stopped. They were just working online or not working, and just, you know, they spent so much time indoors, and that was so difficult. And beforehand, before COVID started, so many young people I know were so fired up about the climate crisis. They were they were missing school on a Friday to go and strike and campaign. That was their big passion in life. And I think, I think things have changed a bit in COVID because I think they they I think it's perfectly reasonable that they're allowed now to concentrate on their own lives and actually going back to having fun and and being a bit free of all of that and not having to think about anything so big again. Um, so beyond the frozen horizon, I didn't want to write another dystopian novel. So I've set it in the future and it's quite a hopeful future world. the world has kind of woken up to climate change and has taken really big action. And um, yeah, so fossil fuels have been left in the ground, meat and dairy um, consumption has really reduced. Um, and there are these big wilderness zones that have been created. And this is where Svalbard is one of them. And this is where my main character Rory goes with, she's 13 years old and she goes with her mom. Um, who's a geologist working on this big project, Um, and I wanted to take my readers somewhere, I wanted to take them with me and and give them an adventure, Um, and actually the dedication for that book is um, for the eco-activists and the wonder seekers, and I think wonder is so important, and I think we can underestimate how important it is in our lives to have have things that make us just stop and just look at them and just think, wow, I think that's so important in a book. (laughs) Um, and so important in life you know if we have these encounters and they can sometimes be really small things I was walking back here to to my house to do the interview I'd just taken my son to this football thing with some friends from school um, and there were two butterflies kind of doing this little dance just right by the grass and I just stopped for a moment to watch them and it it's just they can be really little moments but they they kind of I suppose it's like mindfulness it kind of just grounds you for a moment it takes you back to to who you are it's just yeah moments pause in a busy day and it's it's important and you can get that through reading as well
0: mm-hmm. and reading reminds you to do that
1: Yes, yeah. yes exactly absolutely having
2: children sometimes you know my my own um experience of, of having a having a little person who is you know they're lower down than you so they see things differently to yeah. you and their perspective is different and they can spot yeah. things on the ground or in the bushes or whatever that you might miss and it and they pull you back and go here look at this you know and my my own kid was like that you know especially in, in younger years you know to, to stop and watch a caterpillar on the ground or you know obsessed with snails for a long time that was the thing you know there were snails everywhere you know you couldn't turn around without meeting a snail and it was just <laughs> it's, it's it's wonderful it's wonderful because the you, you do as you go older you, you forget how amazing a snail is yeah. you know <clears throat> you yeah. just think of them as being, being these mundane everyday things that you don't even think about but to, to a four-year-old or a five year old they're they're the most incredible thing in the universe and you look at them and you go they are the most incredible thing in they the universe are. and I I, yeah. I I i love that i love that renewal of, of wonder that you get when you when you spend time with a kid or or as you I read a book like yours you know or or have that kind of you know we, we all have to remember the splendor that's all around us because you do forget it Mm -hmm. you could just just going through every day you don't even think about it anymore it's just there it's just in your way you're going from a to b and you're not bothered with the trees that you're passing or the the river that's you know down the road you know it's 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 a terrible shame you know and i I love books
1: like yours that remind us there's so much in the world that we need to protect and, and also enjoy while we have it absolutely and that was one of the nice things I mean about lockdown which is I know really hard for lots of people but lots of people did on their daily walks because it was you were only meant to have one walk and it felt very mm-hmm. special you noticed your your natural landscape didn't you you noticed like the, the trees on your road and and things like that became ever more important um, yes, absolutely yeah and that spring yeah. when it was, it was such a hot spring wasn't it um yeah I, and people were posting on instagram and and social media about, um, you know, pictures of dandelions and, and trees, and yeah, it was really lovely that people were embracing that in the mm. absence of other things that kept them from it.
0: Yeah, because you were doing the same walks all the time as well, so yeah. you were seeing the seasonal local change range.
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, it's good to
1: have that relationship with your local area, isn't it? It's it can give you a lot actually
2: another thing we lose when we're you know we're just commuting to jobs or you know just doing school runs and, and not, not looking around us I mean you, you do you lose that connection to your your local place you know um, yeah and those those of us that are looking to have any kind of greenery or any kind of countryside around us you know it's it's I really you know I'd, I'd love people to be more aware of, of the, <clears throat> the richness that they're surrounded by you know and I think books like yours are definitely part of that part of that yeah. battle and <laughs> to get people to open their eyes a bit more um I guess we're kind of talking about this in general you know that's kind of the thrust of the conversation we've had but one of the questions we like to ask people as well is do you, do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers you know and what's that what might that mean to you or what does that mean to you is it something that you have consciously on your mind as you write or is it just something that kind of comes like a secondary concern you know maybe it doesn't occur to you till later on in, in the editing
1: process or whatever um how, how do you respond to that I suppose I do. I suppose I do because I do. I take a lot of care over my books. I, I'm not a quick writer at all. Um, you know, I basically write one book. I don't even write one book a year. I write one book every year and a bit. And you know, for my that year, it is a big part of my life. I spend a lot of time writing it or avoiding writing it, but thinking about it, thinking about writing it, and then, you know, you you both know, but editing. You know, it's a big process. You you edit and you edit and you edit and you make it better. And I think you wouldn't do that to the same degree if you didn't hope and every writer hopes that their books will kind of stand the test of time and be important for some people. You know, even if it's just a few people that these books will help shape someone else. These will be the books, hopefully, that someone remembers um, in the same way that the books of my childhood are still really important to me today. And um, yeah, I'd love to think that, yeah, my books were important for other children growing up now and, and in the future they still remember them um yeah so I would like to think that I was a shaper of stories and definitely I think about that with my own kids and the books that I kind of you know find for them and help them find all that they find they discover and then say to me oh this is an amazing book I think yeah it's really lovely and it's yeah it's really it's going to be really nice to see which books do which which books we do remember um yeah and I hope mine are there somewhere for someone <laughs> They are, for I'm sure. I'm sure they
2: will be. Definitely, when my own um, little reader gets a bit older, we'll be sharing them with her. Um, uh, they're definitely ones I treasure. Um, And you know, though you're talking about, uh, you know, this, this sense of wonder, you know, were there books that you read as a child that really spoke to you of, of, of wonder? Maybe not necessarily nature-related, you know, but just the general sense of, of this is, you know, like one of our previous guests, Eve McDonnell, spoke about the wonder spark, you know, this this uh, this moment <clears throat> in your life and you just kind of realize wow this the world is just an incredible place um you know are, are there books that you could point to that would have had that feeling for you when you were younger
1: um yeah I, I can think about like two categories of books that could answer that question so one is time slip stories like mm-hmm. Tom's Midnight Garden books that um for this boy I think he's he's in quarantine for measles maybe and he goes to stay with his aunt and uncle in this big old house but there's just a backyard there's no garden but one night he can't sleep but and the clock, the grandfather clock in the hallway strikes 13 and he thinks, what's going on? And he creeps downstairs. I'm sure you've both read it. And he opens the door to the backyard and he finds his garden and he's gone back in time. And he yeah, he meets this girl in the garden and they have these amazing adventures. And I still feel when I think about it, this sense of um, just I don't know what it is. It's a kind of warmth in my chest and it's yeah. just absolute yeah, excitement and kind of joy as well, I think. There was this journey to be had there's this adventure to be had and this, and this kind of magic it's a magic isn't it in the mm. air that they, they go back to somewhere amazing um but then there were other books that kind of opened me up to the world the real world which also felt really important um one book that i absolutely loved was homecoming by cynthia oh Bullrich.
0: i loved that as well can You read it, yeah yeah, no, yeah i feel
1: like i can i love it when i meet readers who have read homecoming because <laughs> i don't think it's a very well-known book but yeah i'm always surprised by the people that that do know it Um, and it was a book about um, a family of four children and their mum has a nervous breakdown and she abandons them in the beginning in a shopping mall car park i think it's in connecticut Um, and the oldest sibling dicey is 13 years old and she has to decide what to do and she doesn't want to alert the authorities because she thinks that then her brothers and sisters will be split up so she takes the decision to to take them on this journey to find um, a relative that they think might look after them so they they go on this journey by foot, and they've got a little bit of money to buy food, but they they also um they catch fish and they camp under the stars. And you know it's really difficult, but they there's also like a loveliness to their relationship. and sometimes Dicey will sing to her younger brothers and sisters. And yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Um, and then my dad was quite good at because he was a teacher. He was a secondary school teacher at bringing books back and um, for me that he thought maybe I should read. I remember one called Talking Whispers, which was set in Chile um, by someone called, I've got it here, James Watson. I don't remember much about it, but there was a rebellion going on. And it was this sense of like, the world is not at all perfect. There are lots of bad things going on. Um, so books that opened my eyes to that. Books like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. And there were a couple of other books that came after that about the Logan family, um, about racism, that really made me Yeah, it really opened my eyes and made me think. I read lots of books about the Holocaust as well. Um, Books I don't even remember the titles of, but I sometimes think, would I have known about those things? I don't really remember learning about those things at school. Would I have even known about those things had it not been for the books that I read? I think schools are better today at teaching things like that. I think everyone has more awareness today. And and I know that writers, you know, the, the amount of books that we have nowadays by writers from all over the world from all kinds of backgrounds is, is amazing and it wasn't like that when i was younger um but yeah there were a few books that really stand out for me as really opening my eyes i remember an elizabeth laird book called um kiss the dust about a girl escaping over the mountains from iraq into iran i think it would have been with her family and yeah just how terrifying that was how scary um, yeah again I, I wouldn't have gone on that journey with that character had it not been for that book um yeah so yeah I've forgotten what the question was now that's fine it's like, nice. a wonderful answer I could listen
2: to you talk all day I don't care what the question was <laughs> fantastic yeah I was you're talking about books about the holocaust yeah I think we had a teacher when I was in primary school who, who got us to read the diary of Anne Frank um or parts of it. maybe she just she did kind of you know, sections from it and I remember going and getting either in the library or buying one I forget um, you know, the the full version because we didn't get the full story. Like I think it was the section we read was about she was looking out the window of her her annex and she saw a tree growing and we were just you know trying to describe the tree and we were thinking yeah. about how it would look out the window and blah. <clears throat> and when I read the when I read the full diary and realised that you know Anne Frank's terribly tragic fate and her family's fate, I remember just being absolutely just like devastated. Just doesn't begin to cover it. It was like I had lost a family member. You know that I felt like my teacher had <laughs> sort of you know uh, betrayed me by not by not telling me this was the truth you know and and it just it put set me on a kind of a, a not a spiral is not the right word but like a like a whirlpool of research or, or you know books yeah. that, about the holocaust and I remember reading um, I am David by Anne Holm and uh, The Silver Sword by Ian Soralier and you know some books like that that were really just at that just brought that whole period of time alive to me and still there are books that mean so much to me um, you know and it's just incredible how books you read at that age you know, when 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 they they just go to somewhere particularly special in your in your psyche or in your in your heart or wherever um, and just they, they just change you and shape you, as we say, or, or form you. Um, really, really powerful stuff. And I, I haven't I haven't read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry since I was a kid. I'm going to actually get that and read it again. Um, but some, most of the books you're talking about, I haven't I haven't read. So I'm really amazed to meet all these stories. Now I'm going to try and look
1: them up and get as many as I can. Um, they all sound absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh, Homecoming by Cynthia Boyd Oh I've yeah. a got to get it's that still, one. Still, I think yeah. it's really beautiful and there's a sequel, I think a couple of sequels. There's, I think Dice there's is two, more. is there? I have yeah.
0: them.
1: Yeah. What is Dice's song when she's an older teenager and it's I, it's it's still such a beautiful book, I think. And really um yeah, it really feels authentic to being a teenager, I think.
0: And empower I just remember it feeling really empowering as well. Um that they the, the, the four children go off on this journey and and uh, this was because Dicey's the eldest of four yeah. and I was the eldest of four and it just made uh, me think, really I yeah. could do this yeah I could be like Dicey if I needed yeah. to
1: yeah and it is, is it James, Sammy and Mabel? I loved those children so much And I I was one of two and I was a younger one, but I think it helped me feel like, I don't know, I've always, and now I've got four kids and I think I always wanted a kind of a big family. I liked that idea. And partly that was from books like that, that I read. This idea that you could kind of look out for each other, that you could be your own little team and help each other and yeah, yeah, I liked that.
2: What a a profound uh, story shaping experience. (laughs) stories shaped your family as well as your (laughs) your career. (laughs) Amazing. <laughs> um, I think we better start to uh, uh, wrap up. I think for today. But the last question that we love to ask, the cheeky question that we love to ask, is uh, what's next from you in terms of upcoming projects? If you can speak about them, and you're not, uh,
1: you're not going to be in trouble with your publisher. <laughs> um,
2: and if uh, if you can't tell us, then we just we'll take a hint instead.
1: Uh, so I, I am writing another book for Little Tiger, my publisher. Um, so it's in the same kind of vein as the three books I've written for them so far so another kind of wild landscape I can't say too much about it yet but I'm in the process of writing it what I like about it is so so far I feel like I've written my autumn book which is Where the World Turns Wild I feel I've written my summer book which is Between Sea and Sky and then Beyond the Frozen Horizon is my wintry book and this is set in spring so that's really nice and it's set in the country as well so it's a bit easier I shall yeah this springtime I shall be noticing everything and really paying attention <laughs> season um, and yeah as I
0: finish it hopefully by then. <laughs> That's my ambition as well I want to write a book for each season.
1: <laughs> yes oh yeah I think it's important yeah seasonal reading I'm all
0: for it yeah. That's wonderful and um, if people want to keep track of you where can they find you on social media?
1: Um, so I'm on Twitter probably much more than I should be as I write At Nicola Penfold. Um, I really love Instagram as well. Um, I think it's at Nicola Penfold author on Instagram. um, And I've got a website, um, NicolaPenfold.com, I think. um, So you can find me there. Wonderful.
2: Very good. And yeah, as Susan said at the the beginning of the episode, if you haven't yet read Nicola's books, um, I don't think we've given away too many spoilers for them here today, um, but they are definitely, they're three of the best books that I've read um they're fantastic and we are we were so happy to have Nicola on the podcast today um thanks so much Nicola for your time and for your generosity uh, in sharing all these wonderful stories with us and, and
1: how they have shape you into the author and the person that you are today um, thank you so much both of you I just think it's such an amazing thing that you're doing I feel like writers should book in like the book of therapy session it's amazing to go back to your childhood stories I think it's a, a real luxury it's a real privilege to get the space to talk about them so thank you what a brilliant, brilliant. podcast what an amazing thing you're oh, thank, thank you, you
2: bookish therapy i love that and thank you so much that's, that's so kind <laughs> we just got together to do the podcast because we both love
0: books and it's uh, kind of like therapy them. for each other as well yeah it's like therapy <laughs> for us too it's i mean it's
2: those to me it's the most uh, my favorite thing in the world is to, is to talk about books and think about books and uh, so it's just a joy for me to be here um and it's a joy to meet uh wonderful people like yourself Nicola.
0: so oh my thank god you. i'm gonna start crying <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a deeply, deeply wonderful thing to do. So thank you so much, Nicola. Yeah, thank um, you. But uh, we we'll leave that out for today, uh, Story Shaped fans. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you could, if you have a minute, um, you could leave a review or a rating for us wherever you listen to your podcasts um, because they really do help people to to find the podcast and also they make us feel good about ourselves. Uh, so uh, please do that for us. Help us with <laughs> our therapy. Help us with our therapy, but until, until next time, we shall, we shall bid you farewell. Um, so it's goodbye for me and...
0: Goodbye for me. <laughs>
2: and goodbye from our wonderful guest. Thank you <laughs> so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nicola. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. music, by Tony Beths mm-hmm.